I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Before I decided to focus this podcast on sharing stories of women over 40, I recorded a series of conversations last year to test the waters for both myself and for you. We originally launched the series in May and June of last year. With each episode, my heart swelled a little more at the idea of centering my platform on women over 40. The conversations around aging were growing louder and louder, but they still seemed focused on health, wellness, the silver hair movement, fashion, and menopause. And while I was thrilled to see more content created for me and my peers, I didn't see as much that helped us consider our futures. I wanted to talk about what was next. I wanted to talk about purpose and unfulfilled dreams while we had experience behind us and more time ahead of us. I wanted to talk about how our roles were slowly shifting as children were growing and our daily responsibilities were changing. I wanted to talk about re-examining our current roles and professions and pursuing those things buried deep, deep inside of us, waiting to see the light of day, waiting to influence and impact the world around us. I was grateful to each woman who said yes to talking about their age and sharing their own windy path to finding their current venture and themselves in the process. Please join me in listening to this OG series that led to the relaunch and rebrand of this podcast and our entire platform. I dare you to listen to these conversations and not consider your age to be an asset instead of an excuse. Actually, I double dare you. Pursuing your future doesn't end at 40. In fact, it may mark the beginning of knowing who you are, what you're capable of, and what you really want. But knowing what's next and how to get there can be a challenge, especially when old narratives play on repeat. Liberty Road is here to share stories so that you can consider your possibilities, pursue your purpose, and move into your future with intention. I'm your host, Netta Jones, and we're here to listen, learn, and liberate dreams one episode at a time.
Well, hello, Liberty listeners. Welcome to another episode of Liberty for Her. Today, you get to hear from April Uchitel, which I just found out her last name actually means teacher in Russian. So we're holding her way up. Like the bar is really high up for her to teach us something today. April, thanks for joining us. Pleasure to be here. I would love for you, you've done so many things and I actually want to hit on a lot of them because they've been both entrepreneurial and they've also been within some really interesting corporations. And I want you to give us that background so we kind of can understand how you got to where you are. But please first start with telling us a little bit about the board. So the board is my new venture. I'm a co-founder along with Anita Gatto. We kind of came together last summer and realized the shift of COVID has kind of fundamentally changed the way we think about work, um, not only from the remote aspects that we've all lived through in the last year and a half, but also quality of life. And, you know, so many things came to the forefront during this year for, for so many of us and some forced, some naturally. And it really became clear that there's there's a new future and a new way of thinking about how we work, not only from a freelance perspective, but a collaboration perspective. You know, I think there's been a real shift from competition to kind of cooperation and, and um, collaboration. And I feel like, you know, this is a moment in time where, you know, we all hope to seize it and, and sustain it. And so ultimately we set out to kind of create this community because so many people were moving out of corporate full-time into a freelance capacity, again, for all those same reasons. In some cases they were laid off. In other cases, they really had the opportunity to really think, where do I want to live? You know, what kind of life do I want to have? And you know, really powerful stuff, especially if you're a seasoned executive, someone who, you know, has really kind of slogged for a long time and is sitting at the top of an org chart and just realized during COVID that that wasn't really where they wanted to spend their time. And, you know, what what does the future look like? And so we were able to, you know, really quickly lean into that as more and more of my peers were reaching out, letting me know that they had left, moved out of New York, staying upstate, left L.A., Again, we're laid off. Um, we're finally going to try and do that side hustle they've always wanted to do. And it, it became clear that, you know, the challenges of a freelancer is the pump and dump and the hustle for the next gig. And so it's a scary thing to go from a secure paycheck to a freelance economy and, you know, trying to figure out how, how to balance, you know, just kind of the, the unknowns around that. And so by yeah. creating a destination for vetted freelance talent that, quite frankly, I feel like shares values. You know, I think at the end of the day, there are certain people who've made choices in their life and what they bring to the table is unique because of that. And so we really have curated a group that has leaned into this quality of life aspect and has decided that that's a priority. And so how they look at the rest of their life, you know, kind of is dictated by that first as opposed to, you know, kind of trying to get the next job, the... um, any kind of advancement in title or talent or compensation and really just leaning into what they love to do and how can they do that across multiple opportunities. And so it really allows us to create many dream teams. And so the value prop for the, for the consultants is that they have this community they can lean into for advice, whether it's around pricing strategies, how do you get equity, you know, as an advisor, things that, you know, you figure out when you're new mixed with consultants on the board that are much more seasoned. And so they can share learnings that way. And then they can share deal flow and they can share work. And so that's the other challenge, like I said, the hustle for the next gig. So as we create a destination, people on the board are bringing other people on the board into their projects, sharing things and making recommendations when they can't take on a project or it's not right for them 
referring them back to the board. And so it allows everybody to, you know, still feel attached to something, which I think is hard when you leave a big company and, you know, yeah, go it alone. Absolutely. And then to, you know, really not look at this as a typical hierarchy of, you know, we're at the top and everyone's here because everyone's an independent consultant. And so the ideal is that, you know, we kind of get that flywheel going in many different ways. And it's starting, you know, we, we kind of officially opened our doors in March and we're working on some really incredible projects. And so we're just as discerning as who's on the board as to who we work with and how we bring that value. And so far the feedback has been amazing. You know, there's, we kind of thought we would have about 20 or so people and we are about 67 people right now. And um, we have a, a bit wow. of a wait list, which is really kind of wild is people are just reaching out to us to say, I, I, I heard what you're doing and I want to join. And so I want to be a part of this. Yeah, yeah. And that's super powerful. And so, you know, we're figuring out still some of the, the back end operations, you know, in full transparency, it's we're leaving it a little loose so that we can see which direction we kind of go organically. And then, you know, putting some more kind of structure around that. It's funny. It, there's so many things I want to hit on, but just on that, when you said we're leaving it a little loose, that ability to, hold on loosely only comes, I believe, with experience. Otherwise, you just feel like, oh, I have to be tethered very tightly to something. And you learn that that can actually be the bump in the road that you've predestined by doing so. I think when you put, you know, such clear kind of rigid expectations and it's, you know, when you get... When you get into a senior leadership role and you're running a company, you really need to have those, you know, that roadmap as as laid out as possible, at least to know what your milestones yeah. are. And I think early stage, you know, which is what we are, and I've been in a lot of early stage companies, your value prop shifts and you continue to iterate and iterate yeah. and iterate till you find, you know, what they call product market fit. And you have to allow yourself that time. And, you know, for us, it's an interesting model because, you know, we didn't invest a bunch of money and hire a bunch of people. So everybody is independent and everyone is, you know, hustling for their own gigs and how we're coming together. And so we didn't have that upfront capital, which obviously once you're beholden to investors and you really have, you know, different expectations, yes. you know, you have to start to think a little differently. So we're fortunate that we have, you know, this time that can allow us to to kind of be a little bit while we figure it out. Yeah. And yeah. really we want everybody to contribute. So I think the other piece that's really different is, Anybody on the board, you know, they've all worked differently for different companies and different ideas of, you know, how to set something up, what would be a great thing to add, what I'd also love to learn from this community. And so by allowing and encouraging everybody to have input, it's been really amazing, you know, to just have like, you know, guys, it would be great, you know, and I don't, you know, very, very few companies start that way. <laughs> yeah. I also, I want to back up to something that you said earlier when you talked about the, the people that are coming to you, the wait list that you have. And I have to believe that if that hasn't already happened on the company side, meaning the, those who are looking to hire members of the board or the board to begin that process with them, it must also be, because you said it's discerning, there must also be this sort of pent up, like, what is that all about? Who are they aggregating over there? It is informed by this common culture, these core values. I think we want in on that because we all know that the the company eventually is made up of the people that are a part of it. Yeah. It takes on the personality of those that are running it. And so by you infusing into these companies, these individuals who've made personal choices mm -hmm. as a result of COVID, as a result of whatever, they've made these choices about how they want to live their life. They are creatively thinking about, it's like they live in that paradigm shift. Yep. And so that's what they bring to these companies. Yep. So there's this interesting sort of bleed factor that you are 
lending through the board to these companies. Was that by design or are you starting to figure out like, oh, this is what's happening? I've been in companies where we brought in consultants and sometimes it's a culture killer. You know, what what tends to happen is the team, the internal team feels threatened that, oh, now they've brought the professionals in. Therefore, you know, my my role is either diminished or I'm, you know, seen as someone who couldn't do it. They had to get help. And so, you know, by being project based, it's very much about we're coming in to help you tackle this. We work with the internal team. The idea we want them to be excited to like, oh, my God, I'm so excited to work with you guys. You know, and I think that's the shift when the consultants are coming in with just this full intent to help as much as they yeah. possibly can in that, you know, time frame that we've aligned on. And so I see actually like relief on founders faces when they find out about the board and they're just like, oh, now I have a place I can go to when I need help. You know, and I think that's something that in many sizes of a company, especially with COVID shifts, like every, there's kind of a mass exodus happening right now. I'm talking to so many brands that are seeing like, you know, this world is opening back up. Everybody who kind of like grinned and bared it through the last year and a half is now saying, do I really want to stay at this company? Do I really want to do this job? And you're seeing that on the full-time side of it as well. And so a lot of companies are reaching out to us now asking to see if we can help them place, you know, talent. If we can step in, you know, I just had a call this morning where it was exactly that. Like I, a founder of a company, was like, I don't know that I want to be the CEO anymore. Like maybe I want to hire a CEO. Maybe I just want to focus on design and product and marketing and I have to want someone else to run operations. But I don't know if that's what I want. And truly the hardest part is really figuring out that org chart across all, you know, kind of growth stages where you can't afford to hire in-house for some of those senior leadership roles. You want to be able to test it before you make those bigger investments. And at the same time, you don't have that expertise, you know, on the current team. And I think that's where the board can really help companies, you know, kind of bridge different stages. And then the idea is that they come back to us multiple times for different things. And so we're really kind of leaning into the brand strategy, business development, marketing, anything in the marketing space through retail distribution, and then even through creative and content. And, and like I said, we're seeing what, what companies are coming to us for. Everyone wants capital. And so we're seeing more yeah. and more, you know, people reaching out to see if we can help them, you know, access investors. And so, you know, seeing what we can do there, because then they get funded, and then they can really tap into the board on sure. that emerging level. And then we're working with, you know, really big companies that are, are thinking about new, new ways to think, and tapping into us from a partnerships perspective. So, you know, at, at this level, it's so relationship based. And, you know, the, the kind of collective network of the board members is pretty robust. And so it's it's amazing to kind of think we can we can kind of get to anybody anywhere. You know, if someone's looking for that introduction or looking for, you know, more information. There's somebody. There's yeah. Somebody and I think it's all, you know, at the end of the day, it all just goes back to your network and your resources. And that's where sure. senior, you know, kind of experienced, you know, leaders have serious value. And I think, you know, you look at this economy that we're living in, which is attention economy. And there's a, I do think there's a lot of ageism, you know, that exists. And and so many of my peers had, that have been kind of pushed out for a younger, more digitally savvy, you know, much less expensive leader. They don't have the experience of having kind of messed up and fixed it and figured out how to, how to save it and who to lean into and, you know, external relationships that can support those challenging times, which are always there. And I think brand, so companies are, are, you know, struggling between both sides of this coin as it's been such a shift around, look at fashion, you know, look at media, yeah. what's happened in magazines, you know, things yeah. are just in photography, like exponentially changed by the way that content is consumed. And it's, it's really challenging. Again, having, you know, been a CEO 
to figure out how to navigate every new channel that pops up, every new, you know, way brands should are told they need to be thinking about their business. You know, it's almost a full-time job just with that. It, and in the ageism thing, it's interesting. And you and I spent some time talking about this in a previous conversation, but there's still an audience, a large, savvy, sophisticated, wealthy audience that wants content in a way that they can enjoy it and consume it. And so by cutting them out, you cut a large part of the market. It's not just on the hiring side. Let me ask you quickly, because I I know listeners are going to be like, "Mm, is this for me? Should I be calling April? Are we a potential? Mm -hmm. And they're like under a million in revenue. So probably no. So what kind of company are you, what size company are you guys targeting or what size company do you feel like is reaching out to the board that feels like it's a right size for you? I think for me, like I, I love to help emerging brands. I love to work with, you know, new founders and those guys some, in some cases are at zero. And so it's, it's less about where you need to be in revenue, but you know, what your capabilities are in terms of, yeah. you know, can you afford $10,000? Right? I think that's, that's where we really landed is, you know, it's harder to, it's hard to do much for less if we're, especially for including multiple people, yeah. you know, we don't dictate the consultants rates. And so everybody kind of has their threshold of, of where it makes sense. You know, we're, we all have to pay our bills and on the older side, you've still got kids and schools and colleges and whatever else. And so, you know, how do they, how do they continue to support themselves and their families and do it in this manner if they need to be able to just know what they can afford. And so we have them set those thresholds. Um, Some are retainer, some are hourly. And then what we'll really look at is when a brand comes to us, if, you know, if they can kind of meet that minimum, if they can't, it's, it's really, it's hard, you know, unless we really think this is such an amazing opportunity and there's an equity potential to really help. And in some cases, I've just done some hourly mentoring, you know, when a yeah. brand comes in and I'm like, you need all this stuff and they don't have the money and I'll just maybe, you know, spend an hour here or there just to help them think about where they need to get to, to come back to us. But we does have- Does that inform, uh, sorry to interrupt, but just really quickly, does that inform how much- bandwidth you think you want to spend on the capital raising side because you're going to be you're going to have first sight first access to so many of these great early founder ideas and you're going to be able at some point if not already to vet and see like this is a real one if i can connect it to capital it will come back to the board we'll be able to benefit from it and then whatever is attached to if there is a some sort of percentage that the board is able to take in that early stage of that company. Is that part of the the long-term vision? And and is that sort of, again, informed by holding on loosely and seeing what people need? Yeah, no, I, I think 100%, you know, that, like I said, that's the one area that early on every brand was coming to us and saying, yeah. and even brands that are established, you know, that are doing 15 million that we're trying to raise another five to, you know, get to the next level. And brand new companies who've who are being led by founders have already had two exits, you know, who are looking for capital for their next idea. And so, and you know, in many cases, they have friends and family that have gotten them just just enough, and then they need the next, you know, million, two million. And so, exactly that we can we can kind of help them get connected. And so, we do have a few people on the board that have come from you know that side of the business and been in venture and been working in strategic or angel. And so, we can kind of loop them in. You know, I've really spent a lot of these first few months doing is quite frankly planting seeds for the board and and really kind of pitching the board into investors and agencies because they're the ones who you know once they have a brand that gets funded they know okay this is a team of five this is a team of three they need help and they can you know refer back to the board and so 
the more you know people are understanding what we're what we're building the excitement around it is amazing and generally our deck gets shared to like five more investors and so i feel like once they can see they all sides see us as a resource and, and there's an education you know that comes with this new shift and there's many collectives out there especially in entertainment and directors mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. other areas and there's there's obviously strategic agencies and you know so the thing that makes us really different is this ideal collaboration and we're actually collaborating with other you know like-minded collectives who have been doing this longer and had they they may have expertise in asia and certain different development and we have different expertise so we can support each other and it kind of goes back to you know really pre-covid many brands you know blinders up i'm focusing on my own thing and once everyone went into lockdown and all of these founders had to figure out do i take a ppp loan are my furloughing employees am i closing my stores all of these, you know, somewhat competitive companies started to talk to each other in a very different yeah. way. And, you know, and I, I think that's what's been an incredible shift is we finally realized that no one has a customer that no one else has and everybody's resources are tapped. And so how can we support yeah. and learnings? And so I've seen it. I, I took on an interim, a, a former uh, consulting client who I'd had for probably six, eight months really needed an interim CEO. And I took that on and it was calling, calling around and saying, how are you doing uh, this? How are you handling this? How are you? I mean, right now we have a, a an issue of the store associates wearing masks, some of them wanting to, and some of them not in California just lifted the mask wearing, I think yesterday or the day before. And like, we have a new issue and how do yep. we handle the issue? And so it's in calling around and checking in with people. Yep. And you're absolutely right. I don't know if people we're doing that before we're leaning into their, not just their relationships, because they were probably doing that, but some of their competitors and saying, Hey, how do we all do this collectively? And if we do, isn't it better for each of us? And so it feels like that's part of what the board is doing. Let me just ask you for clarity. And then I want to get into your background a little bit, because it's fascinating to me how you got here, Mm -hmm. because you can, you can sort of in retrospect, kind of see this through line, but give me just for clarity, sort of the model. So you've aggregated these group of experts, mm-hmm. consultants in these various fields that you mentioned. They all are a part of this community that's the board. They don't pay to be a part of that community. They're just a part of that community. You've vetted them. They're people that, <clears throat> excuse me, that you're willing to share with the businesses that come to you and say, hey, April, we need X, Y, and Z. In addition to that, that community is sharing their own networks with one another, their own opportunities with one another. They may be reaching out to you and say, hey, I got this opportunity. It's not one for me. Is Mm -hmm. there somebody else on the board that can be a part of that? Am I sort of nailing it or where am I off? I think, you know, like I said, we're we're being loose around this. I think, you know, ideally there is a reoccurring revenue, you know, piece that'll come and that may come through membership. I'm learning, you know, the amount of work I'm putting into vetting and kind of lead outreach for for sales yeah. and and myself, like I said, planting a million seeds and spending hours on the phone talking to retailers and investors and and other kind of agencies to let them know who we are and what we're what we're up to. And so, you know, where that comes eventually, I think there's a potential subscription model where companies can pay an, an yeah. annual fee to just access the board, and that obviously elevates the board itself, you know, people want to be on the board if they know that there's a, there's a direct kind of through line. That's, that's a little bit more structured, but for, for now, and it's funny, like, you know, when we go back through my background, 
the idea of, you know, how do we shift this top-down model to like a, a community model where the collective benefits by supporting the collective, right? And so if you're able to bring work in that you're not going to work on, um, but you brought it to the board, you share that project fee that the board takes. Right. And so we're incentivizing right. board members to bring work to the, each other. And then if you bring them onto a project you're already working on, you know, same thing. And so I think that's what's really powerful. And, you know, it, at the end of the day, we all want to monetize our, our networks. And so it allows us, we've all, you know, we all spend half our time making introductions to people and making direct, you <laughs> yes. know, connecting. And ultimately you see something like take off and you're like, okay, I was the reason that happened, you know? <laughs> yeah. um, and yes. so it allows you to kind of take some some value out of that. And, and, and honestly, in a way that has structure, so no one feels like a schnur, like, okay, yes, I'll, I'll introduce you, but can you give me $500? You know what I mean? Yeah. And so it, yeah. it makes that, that piece which can be frustrating later. If you're a big connector, you spend a lot of your time doing that. And, you know, it's really like a thank you, and which is great, but again, doesn't pay your mortgage and it's still time, you know? And I think yeah. there was this incredible story someone told me about one of the founders, I think it was like IMG and he was in a meeting and someone, you know, was asking for his support on, on you know, a bigger project. And he's like, absolutely no problem, you know, pay me a hundred thousand dollars. And the guy was like, dude, listen, it's like two phone calls. And he gave him two quarters and he said, good luck, you know? And, you know, when you look at oh, wow. that idea of the value of those two phone calls was years of his, you know, working, making um, connections, developing relationships, knowing who can really help each other. And so, you know, I think we, we all get to that level at a certain point because your networks just grow over time. And, and for me, I have an extensive network just based on the businesses that I've been in. And so, you know, valuing that, I think is important. And there's people, the minute they realize they've asked you too many things for free and they, you know, I put a structure around the board and they're like, oh my God, you're so right. I'm so sorry. I'd love to actually talk to the board about how you can help me. And it just shifts the conversation a little bit. And then it becomes, you know, really like, let's put a scope together and let's really talk about it as opposed to like, I can send you a couple introductions and good luck. So yeah. I think it's actually is, is more valuable. It's interesting to hear you say that because I'm going to go back to the ageism conf uh, conversation. As somebody who has spent many, many years, 20 now, mm -hmm. consulting specifically female founders. When I think of the early, the younger the, uh, founders, the conversation we're having is about valuing their work, right? Yeah. Putting a price tag on that work. When we talk now and we, and, and, and that's still the case as you get more experience, but when we now talk about the value of your experience and your relationships, it becomes an altogether different conversation because I have been put in exactly that same situation. And I know what you're talking about where somebody's like, I just spent half an hour with you. Like, how could it possibly cost this much? Yeah. Well, that half an hour took me 20 years to get to and 20 years of relationships and 20 years of heartbreak and hard conversations. Yeah. And you're the beneficiary of those. So if I, you know, collect how much time that's cost yeah. me, you're getting a deal. Yep. And so as we think about this conversation of when we, how we age up and, and we, we price ourselves accordingly, it becomes a, a value that we, I don't think, have taken into consideration. And what you're doing is saying, well, hold up. And, and other people, we need to value these things because these sorts of deals, these sorts of relationships are the things that successful ventures are built on. Yeah. They're not necessarily built on how much funding you have or how digitally savvy you are. That's a part of it. But they are built on who do you know, who can get me from A to B faster so I'm not, my burn rate isn't so yep, crazy, exactly. you know, those sorts of things. Yep. So you're bringing all of that to the table. Yeah. Okay, 
let's spend a minute now kind of walking people through. And I'm going to just do a quick list so our listeners get to hear. So you were at DVF, Diane von Furstenberg. Dion, right? I, it's not I Diane. I always said Diane. Okay. And that's okay. I'm okay. Colorado. I've been corrected. I, I just, I'm, so I, I'm from Colorado too. How have we not made this connection? <laughs> Colorado, like by way of Egypt, but that's a whole other uh, conversation. So you were there for many years, right? Uh, I was there for nine years. Like yeah. Nine years. Yeah. And then you went from that to then being the CEO at Violet Gray. No, I was the chief no. officer at Spring. In between. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. We did talk yeah. about that. We yeah. did talk about that. And then and then over to Violet Gray and then interim CEOing for uh, Onda, mm-hmm. Onda Beauty, which is Naomi Campbell's one of the founders. Naomi there. Watts. Naomi Watts. Yeah. I did know that. Sorry. <laughs> and then you worked, you were one of the founding members of I Am Voter. Yep. I'm a voter. That's been about almost three years. And so kind of juxt. Just juxtaposed between Spring and, and Violet Gray, I joined the founding team of that, and I'm, you know, it's, it, I'm happy to talk about it because it's, it's really a pa- my passion project, and you know, funny enough, like all these different stopovers um, yeah. have have weirdly led me to exactly where I am right now, and I think I think it was Steve Jobs in one of the commencement, yes, Stanford, about yes, yeah, yeah. About kind of connecting the dots backwards, and yeah, you know, that's the also that's also the luxury of of being older is you know having that that ability to look back and, you know, realize that path is your path. And, you know, it's something I try and talk to my 15 year old about all the time, who's already trying to like structure her future, you know, and um, it's hard. I mean, we come from a generation where, you know, it was like, take that job for 10 years. And, and, and it was really hard for me to, to be that jump around person. It just wasn't in my nature. I like to, I'm a creature of security, you know, in the beginning, I wanted to know I had a 401k and I wanted to know that I had my insurance and I wanted to know and I was willing to suffer through some painful situations, you know, for that. And that's what I think is interesting when you get to freelance life and you you lose that security pretty quickly and it's really yeah. on you. And um, I think my husband's a photographer, so he's been a freelancer for his whole career in a different capacity. And I just would watch them like, I'm like, Oh, yeah, it's amazing. Like you're now like out for two weeks and you can go play, but then you don't know when the next job is coming. Like I couldn't, I just, it wasn't built that way. And yet over time, you know, and having now seen so many shifts in how companies turn over and how there's new business models and, you know, you, you don't want to stay forever at a company, you know, early on, yeah. you just need to keep getting more and more experience. And yet every single stopover you take away, you know, and, for me, it was like I needed to totally change each time and did some, you know, kind of drinking through the fire hose each each shift. And it's you got to kind of have the ability and the desire to to really like dive in and commit um, to to that transition and be willing to kind of take some steps down and back, you know, to move a different direction. And I think there's, you know, there was a lot of ego in the early days of how, like, especially fashion and hierarchy. And you yeah. got the next title and you got the next title. And so you were willing to sit sit at a title because it was a title as opposed to you actually were enjoying the job. And, you know, harder to say, like, you know what, I'm not having any fun anymore. I'm going to go do something totally different and I'll take a pay cut and I'll take, you know, a title cut and I'll go learn something different. It's it's challenging. And yet I think now we see that this is the world of constant reinvention. We're like was every it, two years. Was it COVID that made you you talk about that being kind of how you were built and a part of what you are or who you are. Was it COVID that caused you to 
be willing to shift? Or was there something in those respective roles that you took where you said, I'm actually ready to be in that founding role? I'm ready to take that sort of leap? Or I think it's perhaps it's a combo. The total combination of both those things. You know, yeah. there was um, one point when I really thought about it and I just, you know, I really felt like I, I didn't have enough knowledge to go and claim I'm the best consultants consultant to do this. Yeah. You know, like I said, we get to be generalists at a certain point. And, you know, it's like jack of all trades, master of none, where I was like, shit, what would I even consult in? Like I can do yeah. all, like, what's my thing? And that's kind of where then COVID hit. And I'm, and I'm like, okay, what are my, what do I love to do? What do I love to do? What are my superpowers? And, you know, it's, it was actually the term we use for the board where everyone who's on the board, we've said, what are your three superpowers? Like, what are the four, what are the three to five max that you love to do, that you want, that you're really good at, that you want to hone, we can hone in to say like, okay, you're the expert for this and you're the expert for that. And it caught, you know, everyone was really quick to say like, I can do all these things, but I love this part, you know? And I think that's where there's, there's something also really special in the culture at the board is that it's the place where someone's like, okay, they're going to bring me stuff for the stuff I love. I might have to go do this over here and I'm going to work on this because it helps me, you know, kind of pay the bills. So when they do get a get a project, you know, they they really over deliver, I have to say. And I sure. think, you know, brands benefit exponentially. And, you know, to your earlier point of like, you know, we can make a couple of phone calls and that would take them six months to cl- crawl through LinkedIn and find decision makers and sell them on what they're trying to bring to market. And, um, you know, that's super valuable. And in many cases, like I said, they have an idea of, of what they're building. And then once they start talking to people, they realize, oh, they haven't really thought it through. They haven't even gotten the feedback yet on the business side. And we become almost more like, you know, kind of life coaches and yeah. as well as, you know, business coaches and then and in the execution. But I love the value you're bringing to if you consider like somebody going through that six months of LinkedIn they're always in selling mode. They're always in convincing mode. When they are part of the board and a company is coming to you and your co-founder, I don't want to leave her out, but they're coming to you and they're like, April, this is what I need. All of a sudden you put both parties on equal footing. And the conversation is completely different. It's totally shifted. It's like, how do we create a deal that's best for both of us versus go ahead, sell me. What do you got? Convince me. And, you know, I've been pitched a million things and I've pitched a million things and I, I really know, okay, this is a great product. It's so not right for them because I actually know their CEO and I know how they think and I know what they're working on, you know, or I I think this is an incredible opportunity. So that that matchmaking piece, I think, is is my superpower, you know, where I, I understand like this is a great brand who would really get what you're yeah. doing and let's get them on a call and help them troubleshoot and kick the tires with us as opposed to a total stranger calling someone else begging for a half an hour meeting of which it's the last thing she wants to freaking do, you know? And so when you, when you are able to kind of bridge that gap, and then I watched kind of these meetings happen where both people are like, Oh my God, this is a great, you know? And there's that, you know, a feeds my soul a little bit to know that, you know, I'm making those connections that can really have impact for both parties. And at the same time, it's, it's all, it's all, I would never bring something to someone just because I have to hit a quota of like, okay, my, my scope for you is to make 10 brand introductions. Here's 10 people that I know that'll talk to you. You know, for me, it's like, it really has to be meaningful connections or sure. I won't sign up for it. And on the flip side, you know, when we talk to retailers, they also, they, they want people coming from the board because they're like, okay, you're already going to vet it before you bring it to me. Like I, I'm going to trust what you guys bring to us that much more. And it still may be right or wrong for me, but I, I know that you get it because you've been on my side. You've been a retailer, you've been a brand founder, you've, you know, you've built, you know, different arms of the business and you wouldn't bring me something that wasn't worth looking at. I may not be able to do it. It may not be the right time, 
So I think, again, it just goes back to I've had those relationships for 20 some years. And so making making that phone call is really like give me a quick thumbs up or thumbs down. I make it easy for them. Um, and they don't have to suffer through an hour pitch if they're like in 15 minutes know that it's it's not the right time. Yeah. I, I want to lean into your background a little bit because, I, again, I think especially the listener that's going to be attracted to this season of conversation, she's going to come with sort of a wiggly or zigzaggy line to where she got uh, to now or where she might want to go. So get maybe just spend a minute on each or 30 seconds on each of the companies that you were part of and maybe what you took away from those that is that informed where you are now. Completely. Yeah. I mean, so I did about, I did 25 years in fashion, you know, the last nine of those at DVF and, you know, it just became a topped out moment of where it was time to go. And the next thing would be a president, you know, of a company. And I just didn't, didn't see myself. I, I always say I didn't want to be a 50 year old Garmento. I know that's yeah sassy, but it was really like, <laughs> I would see these women at trade shows. I'm like, Oh, that cannot be my future. And at I the know. same time, I yeah. just saw also just the, the train wreck that was lying, you know, ahead of that industry from seasonality to trade shows to department store relationships and just all really broken. And I knew I needed to get into digital. And that's the first time I kind of stepped back and down and I became, and I started mentoring the CFD incubator program to kind of stay attached to, to the business and then took kind of advisory positions and started to do some consulting. And I was brought in as a consultant to a new marketplace called Spring. And it became like this moment of like, aha for me, where I was like, okay, this is the Phoenix rising from the ashes. And we're going to build a direct to consumer marketplace where brands own control of the content, the pricing, their whole story. Um, they get analytics that no one shares and they actually acquire the customer. And so I ran around Manhattan for a couple of years, you know, selling an app that we didn't even know if we could build to into, you know, the... Everlane's, um, Warby Parker's, Harry's, Reformation, all the D2C brands. So we we built a different kind of matrix and you would see it at a traditional department store, you know, all the way through to the DVFs and the Rag and Bones and up to Gucci and all of Estee Lauder and all of Caring. And, you know, this was the humbling moment of like, I'm literally like running down the street, you know, by myself, you know, pitching an app, downloading it at night. I worked for someone I was 20 years older than I you know, went from having an EVP title in my own office and assistant to sitting in a WeWork with like four other people <laughs> yeah. half my age. Oh, the glamour of it the all. Glamour. Yeah. Um, <laughs> on my red lipstick in the bus station coming from upstate. <laughs> and, and it was insane. And it was also kind of amazing because I just saw so much of the, the opportunity. And, um, and that's really where I started, you know, drinking through a fire hose, learning a whole new language. I literally would be on conference calls like a Zoom and they're talking and I'm Googling, what is that? I have no clue what they're talking about. <laughs> you know, every acronym I had never heard of. And you know, right. you say KPIs in fashion, you don't say OKRs in fashion. And I was just like, every day I just felt dumber than dumb, you know, on these calls and really pushed myself. I would rehearse in front of the mirror and it was like, I don't know, really know what I'm saying, but this is, you know, what they're saying and, and truly understanding an entirely new landscape and, and, technology, you know, speak API integrations and backend scraping. And I'm like, I don't even know what an API is, but I'm going to tell you that we can do that for you, you know? And so it was crazy. And I remember my fashion peers just like, dude, what are you doing? You know, I would see them out. <laughs> and why are you doing it? Yeah. And then like later they'd be like, oh my God, how did you know how to do that? Like the, the end is near and you're already moving on to the next thing. And, right, um, right. and that, you know, started to inform this kind of network piece because I started to see brands all doing the same thing and not talking to each other. And so whether it was replatforming on a different, you know, from, you know, Magento to Demandware or really thinking through their international strategy or trying to figure out like who's the best PR agent, 
And I would start to like just connect brands to talk to each other while we were building the, you know, the chicken and egg supply side of the brands and the building the customer. And I'm like, okay, I got to keep everybody happy. And, and that really, I'm like, okay, how can I build like a Tinder meets Angie's list for fashion? And um, there's just no connecting happening. And, you know, the CFDA doesn't really do that. They have a membership, you know, they, they really kind of speak to the top 90 brands in the industry. And yet all these emerging founders are out there, you know, all in their own. Trying. Yeah. No one is yeah. in the dots. And, and I then, you know, moved to LA. Um, my husband was just ready to leave New York. And I kind of accidentally became the CEO of Violet Gray, where I had known the founder for, for years. And she was looking to kind of pass the torch and focus on content. And that brought me deeper into beauty and another 130 brands to kind of get to know. And, and so along the way, it was the same thing. I started to, you know, see how brands could connect to each other. And it really did inform a lot of what the board is kind of resting on now. And, and I had also become a founding member of I'm a Voter. And, and truly, that's a nonpartisan coalition where we, we just wanted to make voting cool so people would do it. And we figured if we can sell lipstick, we can sell voting. And it was a side hustle of about 28 of us at the time. There's more now, um, co-founded by Mandana Dayani and Tiffany Bensley. And we were able to work with um, everybody at CAA, at Disney. We, we had this wow. amazing coalition. You know, we eventually got to the NBA and NFL and, you know, McDonald's. And um, it was such, it's been amazing. And, you know, the celebrity side of it that's, that's chosen to support. And I was hustling, you know, selling voting into brands and, Two and a half years ago, running around Fashion Week, sticking Emma Voter pins on people just for our Instagram that we were just starting. And it was amazing. And now, you know, it's really, it's become a brand and it's really become kind of this, the idea behind I'm a voter is instead of saying I voted, if you say you are something, there's that much more accountability. So sure. it was all by design, a really neutral logo that kind of went with anybody, like I said, nonpartisan and brands, you know, were asking each other, like, oh, are you talking about voting? Like, what are you guys doing? And so we were able to be that bridge and say, like, okay, we're working with these brands and, you know, we'd love to work with you. And eventually, you know, brands were reaching out to us to say, like, I love what you guys are doing. Like, how, what can I, how can I help? What can I do? And we're still not done. You know, we still need to have a lot of elections and people need to be thinking about voting all the time. And so we're working yeah. on our July campaign for Register a Friend. And, you know, that's something that I think, we all need to have the one thing that really drives us in terms of feeling like we're making an impact, you know, social betterment of some sort. Um, otherwise it just starts to feel like I'm just, I'm just here selling products or I'm just here, yeah. you know, pushing brands, some other cog. Yeah, yeah, no, it's so true. It's, I think it's really important and I love that platform. And I remember being excited about it as I have a, had a 17 year old who was missing the voting cycle. And she was so, so oh. bummed about that. And everything that she was looking at was so, I was like, why isn't there something cool and edgy for uh, an older set to think about voting and the importance of it? And I, and that's really how I came to know I am a voter. I keep saying I am voter. Is I am voter the Instagram? It's, and it's I, am I am a voter, voter, but it's all like one word. So oh, see, yeah, yeah, I can't, I, I can't see. I know we freaked out that they like I'm we became Jen on Jennifer Anderson's bio on her Instagram page. She just tagged us and you know in her bio and then it was like things yeah. started to blow up and my neighbor manages Lizzo and I saw Lizzo in his driveway and I'm like, Can we get Lizzo for I'm Can a voter? We? I mean we literally <laughs> like we called everybody we knew, we begged everywhere we could and Well it worked. It's been yeah, it's been wild to watch. But it, you know, again, it kind of informs this idea of like we all came together, we all pulled our resources we all tried to make something happen. And yeah. um, so it's been, this, I guess it's been a constant thread. 
And I say to the girls, I'm a voter, like I, you know, the board kind of exists because of this experience I've even had with, with all of them, where it's just quickly like, Hey, I can help want to jump in with me on this. Let's both call them. Let's have a call with, you know, this company or this brand. And, and it really just that the power behind that was so much greater than, you know, kind of single file <laughs> attempts um, yeah. you know, to, to leverage who has the best relationship. You've talked a couple of times now about your kind of hustling, like post DVF in particular, not, not that you weren't hustling there, but just this, like I was going door to door, essentially I was, you know, talking to brands. I was convincing people. I was teaching people. There's your, your last name again. (laughs) But if you look back, um, and I want to transition us a little bit into picking your, your brain and your expertise, but if you look back and you, and you look at running a team versus all the hustling that you needed to do to launch a business, what would you say is the biggest difference from those, those two Aprils? There's that April that was, you know, the corporate April. And then there was the April that was living out this, whether you were, the founder or not, I, you know, I think of spring and, um, Violet Gray and Onda, um, by Naomi Watts and I am a voter. And now the board, those were all entrepreneurial ventures, whether you were the founder or not, how did, how do those differ when you look back? Such an interesting question. I think, you know, early days, like I said, we were kind of, you know, programmed a certain way to like, this is how the hierarchy works and you wait and you go and you do this. And then I, started to work in startups where everyone's a stakeholder and there's no, you know, like that 24 year old's opinion is probably more important than mine thinking through a digital, you know, content lens, how they consume it, where it's being consumed, you know, by the gray, same thing. Like there's different people on the team that have different insights that inform. And so even if you're at the top of something, you still need to be able to collectively take, you know, the, the input. Um, and it's a harder thing to do because, you know, you, there needs to be a boss and you can't be everyone's friend and you, it's not like yes. design, you know, decision by committee, but so how do you get enough of that where you that everyone feels invested, but also someone else is really owning the decision? And I think that's that's the challenge as an entrepreneur anyway. And I never thought of myself as an entrepreneur. I thought of myself as an operator who helped, you know, people bring their vision to life, whether it was Diane, um, whether it was the Tish, you know, brothers who were the co-founders of Spring, whether it's Cassandra Gray at By the Gray, whether it's Naomi. I'm like, okay, you've got your idea. I'm gonna come in and help you figure out how to do it. And then, you know that's when I started to ask myself, okay, what, what, what do I really love about all that? I don't love, you know, being in charge of HR. I don't love dealing with, you know, a financial model, you know, it's not where my passion is. And and I, but I love this energy kind of swirl and the hustle. And my co-founder was like, you're like a 24 year old kid, like running around the streets of Manhattan. She's like, you got to slow down, stop talking to people, you know, because (laughs) she's like, every day you're like talking to more people. She's like, we just, let's figure this out first. I'm like, no, there's a momentum here. It's like, I feel it. And I have to, I'm in, I'm just empowered by it. And, you know, I get so much out of that. And, you know, Mike, Mike makes my husband crazy. He's exhausted. He listens from his office at me at the dining room table. And he's like, I don't know how you talk all day long with the same level of enthusiasm and effort, like for 10 hours. You know, I mean, there can't be two of you. My husband's the same. I mean, honestly, like there would be no oxygen in the room. Totally. The case, but so. you call, I'm like, okay, I'm getting so much from this. And, you know, and that's where, where when I got, you know, at the end of the day, I was the CEO. I'm like, I'm just, I'm missing all this other stuff. Like I'd like, to, I, I'm a really good Pied Piper. I'm really good at being like, okay, guys, we're all going this way, you know? Yeah. And, and I love to do that. And it's obviously got to be something I believe in and whether that's, driving someone else's business. And then I just kind of got to this point of like, I just don't want to fix someone else's problems. And I don't want to be 
in charge of someone else's destiny, you know, and what is my, you know, next 10 years look like? I'm 54, you know, I have a 12 year old. So there's no, you know, where no one's retiring any time. We're in the same boat. You know that, right? I'm 53 and I have a 13 year old. My youngest is 13. My oldest is 18. So we're in the same boat. And so how do we look at the next 10 years? You know, it's like, you know, try the world is changing so fast. And, you know, what I love about this, this kind of collaborative model is that everyone is going through it and everyone is, is really eager and wanting to share their, their learnings. And sometimes in a corporate environment, you know, it's just a, this is political, you know, and there's just a different, you know, the, yeah. the, the end of the day is just a different expectation. And yeah. um, I don't know, I think also trying to figure out how to organize it where it feels like, you know, there's, there's a real business here, you know, and making sure that I am bringing value to all sides. And that's the the pressure that, you know, I take on, I think my, so my co-founder is like, it's not your problem. Like everyone's an independent consultant. They're going to do their thing. We're going to bring extra. We're going to do our thing. I'm like, I w- woke up the other night, I'm like freaked out. I'm like, oh my God, I have 67 employees. And she's like, no, you don't. You know what I mean? Yeah. I was like, okay. <laughs> you know, so like. <laughs> so even it's good that house. you have, you have that yang to your yin, like that she can sort of yeah, say, no, no. no, hold up. That's not the case. So, and it, I just have to ask, this is a funny question, but given the topic that we're talking about, is she the same age? Nope. She is 39. Yeah. So this is really interesting and a great transition for us. So I really want to kind of get your, what you've seen in your various experience in working with other brands and in being a part of those and things that you've seen sort of objectively from the outside. But for so many of our listeners who are in the same kind of life stage that we are, and I'm careful not to say a particular age because if you're a coastal person, Mm -hmm. then you do, you are in your fifties with a, a younger kid yeah. often versus my sister who lives in the middle of the country, who's younger than me, but has a graduate and a married, you know, it's just a completely different story. So it's more just the stage in life. Do you think that there is a difference in running a business when you're 50 versus when you're 35? And what do you think the advantage or disadvantage is? I definitely think there's a difference. I think, you know, when you're, when you're 50, like I said, you, you've, you've fucked stuff up and you figured out how to fix it yeah. already. And you've decided that, you know, the pain around this piece is no longer interesting. Like that's nothing I, I, I from a culture perspective, from a area of focus, I think you get, you get a little bit more streamlined in the way you think. And, and as I talk to um, so many founders, like even the girl I was talking to this morning, who's probably in her you know thirties and she's got a $15 million business and accessories. And she trying to figure out, you know, each their hundred percent increase year over year. What do I want to, where do I want to go? What do I want to do? And, you know, I, I immediately go into, like I said, kind of like this life coach conversation of like, yeah. what are you thinking, you know, about this? And you can kind of answer, you've answered those questions for yourself by the time you get to 50. Yeah. Because you're so focused on, you know, this one piece, whether it's just like driving revenue or building a brand you know, raising money, like you were saying, it's like, sometimes I think companies think about success is how much I've raised and not mm-hmm. like how, how profitable is my business or how um, viable is the longevity. And I was talking to someone about this yesterday where, you know, um, so a lot of these young startups, it's very much about how much they've raised. That's like, you know, the badge of honor has nothing to do with, you know, where this business is going to be in 10 years and, and when do they reach profitability. And so in some and the people that they're impacting that work with them and that they're mm-hmm. serving. And then that's where yeah. you've seen all these, you know, founders be called out and canceled. Yes. And I, sadly, it's a lot of female founders, you know, and there's a yeah. whole other story, but it or a whole other conversation. But I do think it's sometimes like, you know, where are they putting the focus? 
And you know, yeah. at the end of the day, it's all about your team and you have to know that, you know, and I think sometimes the team is secondary, you know, they're a means to an end, you know, when you're a founder, you're just kind of filling, filling holes and everyone's wearing 20 hats. And then at a certain point, those hats don't fit those people anymore. And that's a really hard thing to, to understand as a founder of like when to say this person no longer right. And how do I exit them gratefully and gracefully in a way that I'm grateful for them and where they brought me to, but they're not the right fit for where I need to go. And I think that's the hardest part of, of building a company. And when you're older, you've kind of seen that, you know, and you kind of realize, okay, this person is not going to get there. I don't have two more years to hope that they do. And, you know, and so how do we do this in a way that they feel like it's time to move on and I'm going to help you figure that out. And it, you do it again with grace. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm proud to say that I would think most people that I've worked with in my career have very positive things to say about me. You know, it's been something I've worked really hard to make sure that I'm mindful. That's not always been the case top down to me. So I know what that feels like. Yeah. Um, and I think, again, that comes with age, you know, you realize like, okay, I've been, and I even said like, so it's like, who's your mentor? I'm like, I don't, I don't even really have many, you know, like I've had a lot of bad bosses. That's your mentor. What not to do. (laughs) (laughs) What not to do. And you've, and, and because of that expertise or that experience, I should say, all these people who are becoming part of the board, many of them, I assume, are over 40, given what, you know, our past conversation and what you've said about how they've been impacted by COVID. What do you think their particular pain points are? Because I assume that they're similar pain points to our listeners. Like what what they're thinking needs to shift as a result of kind of the more um, sort of esoteric lessons maybe that they Pull, have been pulling from the last year, but even just from this time in life of like, yeah, okay, so what do I want the ten, the next 10, 15 years to look like? How do I want to, is this, are these my legacy years? Like what, yeah. what is this time? And so what do you think their pain points are and what, what needs to shift in order to accommodate those? I mean, I think, you know, it's always about security, right? You know, especially when you're looking kind of into the unknown and, and, and like yeah. we've all seen, you know, what, what, the pandemic did to us and how we, fragile we realized, we realized we are, you know, how many people are a few paychecks away from a big problem. Yeah. You know, and I think yeah. when you're senior leadership, you may have have something banked for a while. I mean, there was one of the girls who'd been at Ralph Lauren for 27 years, you know, and had to let her team go. And then ultimately the week later she was told she's gone and she's like, shit, I, what, what do I do? Like, and yeah. you know, fashion has changed dramatically we're expensive when you've been there for that long. So there's a lot of like soul searching. And I've seen, you know, a lot of the people on the board really went through a rough, like, holy crap moment. And, you know, just like their identity was attached to the companies they were at and what they were doing. And so, you know, I think we're collectively mourning this shift of like the businesses Mm. we used to know um, and where the world is going. And that's on every level, you know, you, you listen to the news and it's just dire everywhere, you know, globally, it just feels dark. And so you're dark on top of dark and then a shift and then everything else. And I, you know, you see what's happening in mental health across everybody. And that's the amount of people that are trying to find like resources, whether it's, you know, self-care, meditation, you know, community, um, you know, really leaning in. And, And so all of this is kind of happening right now. And I think this, the people on the board, you know, that I've talked to the most are coming into this with like fresh eyes, like, okay, now what do I do? And kind of maybe letting go of the, what I always thought, you know, one of the girls on the board had a really big job forever in partnerships. And then right. She quit and she launched an experiential um, kids space in Tribeca and then COVID shut it down. And so everything she stopped and then invested in was just like gone. 
And there's more and more of those conversations. And then you quickly try to pivot to digital and quickly realize this is not what she wants to do. And then like, what do I do now? And so having all these conversations. So we, we have a um, clubhouse chat that we do. We have actually our, our one this next week is on like, what's my time worth? And I think this is the big challenge. Like we were talking earlier, yeah. you know, how do I price myself? How do I think about my value? How do I articulate that in a way that feels right um, and not apologetic and not also yeah. so grandiose? And so finding that balance. And I think that's a pain point for everybody um, right now and in myself included. And, you know, when we get a, a client coming in, and this is what they want. We're like, okay, like what would, you know, what's the number that it feels right for everybody to be compensated and isn't too high, you know, for this particular company who we want to work with and how do we not compromise? And, and we're learning, you know, we, we've definitely under budgeted. We're in a one right now where we, we, you know, the budget seemed good and we're like, yes. And then once now we're in it and we're like, we know, you know, we're killing ourselves Can't for do that for, again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, Whoops. Yeah. But we can share those learnings across the whole board. So, you know, when that, when that happens, we have examples and case studies to say, okay, we did this, this is what worked, this is what didn't work. Cause it's a new, it's a new model. And, you know, and, and honestly, unfortunately, there's people that are on the board that probably after working with them, I'm like, you know what, you're actually not board material. This is not a great fit. Um, yeah. And that's okay too. And, and some people will be super squeaky and other people will be like, call me if you need me and, you know, finding the right balance. And it, you know, so in a way it is like employees. <laughs> um, yes. There's some things about the burden that's the same, but then yes. if you can get yourself in that other frame of mind of this is a community that I'm building, it dawned on me that as you were talking about these people who've dealt with all of this change, that it's really hard to to use a term that we were using in our last podcast with Susan Feldman, somebody that you know. Mm-hmm. We talked about the difference between uh iterating and reinventing. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, gosh, that's a really hard thing to do. I don't care if the shift is a 2% shift or a 180. Um, it's really hard when you're zapped of any creative energy and you feel like the world around you is falling down yeah. or the world around you is so unique and so different to what you kind of grew up and were groomed for, yeah. grew up learning and knowing. So I, my guess is that's something that you're starting to build in more and more like with this clubhouse chat, like let's collectively come together and bring some light and life into these conversations. So people aren't independently having these. And that's something again, listeners, that's something that I think we need to be more conscious of that 2021 may be like, we're coming out of that dark stage, but we also have the emotional weight and heaviness um, more, I think this year than we did last year. I agree. Yep. I totally agree. Let me ask about the, because I I think there's both a benefit and um, as you said, you're working with a lot of people and have worked for people that are 20 years younger than you. What do you think entrepreneurs over 50 can learn from the 20, 30, 40 year olds? Like, what do you think we should be aware of? Because I also think we want to be careful when we talk about, you know, celebrate founders over 40, that we don't, we don't diminish the value that these other um, groups potentially bring to us, these other people potentially bring to us? Well, I think it goes back to this collective. It's interesting. It's There is so many different ways to think through things now. And I think any business at the end of the day is a marketing company yeah. and everyone thinks, you know, is consuming content, thinking differently, being reached differently, 
you know, getting information from different channels. And so you have to have that age range, you know, where it's no longer like no one cares about what happened 10 years ago. You know, it's like they're just it's just not relevant information. And so we're all kind of in the moment. And I think it's that bridge of how how does this mix come together? And, and you know, whether it's me and my co-founder, or there's a 20, you know, whatever year spread um, and how the value we place on everybody's experience and skills is, is brought to the fold. And, and it's, it's less about the millennials, the gen, like I kind of hate the fact right. that we're all bucketed like that. And, you know, right. and now every marketer is trying to talk to a Gen Z and yet, like you said earlier, walking away from the person who has spending power, you know, we're um, seeing this right now with a company that we're working with where they did a survey and they saw the numbers around Gen Z. And so they're trying to do this whole pendulum swing. And we're like, you, you can't, you know, you, yeah. you, you see that right now with what's happening with diversity and inclusion and what's happening with trying to like throw a pendulum the whole other way. And, you know, the reality is things don't move that fast and you need every stakeholder in there to help figure out how things, yeah. how things shift. And they become in, inauthentic shifts when we do them completely based on marketing or based on a trend. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I've seen it with so many companies that, you know, have taken the 15% pledge that have decided, you know, to, to work really hard and, Yet it's not doesn't happen overnight. I mean, you you can't fire people to hire other people, and you can't you know eliminate products on your site to replace them overnight. You know, there's a business case to all of that, and yet we all know there's so much work to be done. And so, how does that become top of mind? And how can you know the board? Ideally, you know, we also want to help companies think through things like you know racial equality, um, sustainability aspects of, of business that may not have been built into your DNA, you know, day one, but now everyone's right. hyper aware that, you know, these are, these are cultural, you know, non-negotiables at the end of the day for our planet to survive and our, you know, our, our race um, in general, human race, you know, to, to, I think, move forward in a progressive way that yes. businesses can play a role in, you know. And, absolutely. Um, absolutely. They can. Okay, this you just set this up. You teed this up for me so well. Thank you very much. So you've worked with some of the most sophisticated brands. You've you understand the value of brand and marketing. And one of the isms that we're addressing in this season is this idea of ageism. And it's one that hasn't had a lot of attention. Um, and I think given the the last year and a half, it's probably that's probably correct. That's probably, uh, it shouldn't be, um, it shouldn't trump where we are right now that not to use, (laughs) I shouldn't have said that Um, anyway, but how do you feel brands should address the age issue? Um, knowing what you just said about, we can't have a pendulum swing. It can be inauthentic. It can actually damage the brand. How do we do that and still sort of keep our edge? as a brand. Do you think there's a savvy way of doing that? Because I know a lot of the brands that are uh, addressing age, I'm like, I, I already have AR, AARP coming to my door and I just throw <laughs> yeah, it away totally. every time. Like, I don't, I don't need that. Not because I don't want a reminder of my age, but what they're selling me is not a life I'm wanting to buy. Right, right. You're well, not, that, I'm not I feeling represented. Challenge. If you don't, if it's not reflective, right. If you don't see yourself, you know, we're working with a cosmetics company right now and we're doing, they doing 12 shades of, of, um, of one of their products. And so we're covering every shade and we're making sure we have, you know, age also covered. So the founder is very much mm-hmm. about like women over 50, but it's not about just that audience. And so how do you do right. this where you're able to get the diversity? Cause that's what the product is 
and then have age be representative as well. So it's not just the beautiful 20 year something year old who, you know, in a product shop applying cream, her face looks flawless. Um, (laughs) You know, on a 50 year old face, it's going to look different. And so how do you do that where, you know, again, I see myself in there, but it's also aspirational. And I think that's the challenge, but it has to be a focus for the company and they have to do it over and over. And, you know, that mix of models and that approach to, um, you know, you can't sell all this like anti-aging and have all your models be 23, you know, yes. and I think it doesn't work. It doesn't work. And, and But, you know, brands are now much more into, you know, kind of real realism and less filters and less retouching and, you know, more of that authentic content, which is what social media has helped drive completely and where consumers, you know, respond more to that than the glossy, huge, you know, um, photo shoot that, you know, kind of feels a bit 90s 2000s where we spent yeah. a ton of money on like five amazing slick images but they don't live anywhere anymore you know we're not in magazines as much you know you have out of home opportunities but you have to have a lot of budget to boost those you know and to really kind of get those assets out there where you know content is like consumed by the second and so brands yes. need a lot of it and they need to de- rely a lot on you know user generated content because they're just never going to create as much and so if you haven't built a community that you can talk to because your models are 27, but your your target market is, you know, 52, it's not going to work. Um, and I think brands are realizing that really quickly, you know, and if you look at the influencer economy and how that's shifting, you know, to really kind of micro communities that, you know, it's, it could be someone with a thousand followers, but who really has talking to people in that authentic way. And that's, I think, the big shift for, for companies to, to really look at who's driving engagement. And it's yeah. usually not who you think it is. Um, yeah. by far. And so people that are getting paid a lot of money don't convert, you know, but you yeah. think that they do. And then you realize um, these much smaller audiences, you know, are much more connected and, and there's a lot more integrity, I think, into if, you, if I'm going to make a product recommendation, it's because I really think it's great and I really love it as opposed to someone gave me, you know, money to talk, say it's great. Like, I think that's yeah. that shifted too. But I feel like, you know, there's there's still a huge audience, you know, with what's happening in the menopause space. You know, there's going to be a flood there. I actually have a call with Stacey London yep. in a few weeks. So that's great. hilarious. She's a great yeah. friend. And we talked a lot about her new business. And, you know, she reached out to me and she's like, dude, can I be a CEO? I'm like, yes, you can. Um, <laughs> you know, and she's amazing. And she is really, you know, living her truth in a way that I think is, is incredible. Um, you know, I think... That's awesome. Like that, do use their platform really honestly, you know, are a lot more connected and compelling, I think, within their communities. And so you'll and it's her. it's what we in that audience want. I mean, yeah. we I want it as much as my teenage daughter. I want that authentic- yeah. authenticity. Yeah. So really quickly, because we've gone past yeah. our, our hour, but I, this is such a good soon. conversation. <laughs> I know. No, it's so good. So really quickly, just parting words for the 50-year-old who's listening 40-year-old, 50-year-old, 60-year-old who's listening, who's saying, and actually I would say anyone because the 30-year-old's gonna be 50 one day. What do you want to leave her with in terms of this idea of being inspired to start up regardless of age? You know, I, I think it, it's it's always the long game. You know, if we think about it, I think to me that's something that 
it's never about like when I get there, when I get there. And then when I get here, I'll, you know, I'll do be happy. I'll do all this other stuff and I'll finally have this sense of security. And you realize like that's a fallacy. You know, it's like that it's about the entire journey. And at every stage, you know, now more so than ever, this element of reinvention where it can be scary can also be so empowering. And, Mm. you know, when I think about when I just did the step back and trust me, it's painful. I had lots of tearful days, you know, over the summer thinking about like, what, what is, what looks ahead and what do I have to, you know, rely on? I don't want to do that thing anymore and I can do it, but I'm not happy doing it. And I, you know, um, I can figure that out, but what really was driving me. And once I started to talk more about it to more people, I realized like those sentiments are so shared and that allowed me to kind of trust. And, you know, and there's a part of me, it's like, always think someday I'm going to be flipping burgers at McDonald's. You know, I like was, I was born, you know, without a lot, um, you know, from an economic perspective in a small town in Colorado and just, you know, work since I'm 11. And so I constantly have that sense of like at any moment, you know, that's me homeless on the street, you know, and even though I, I know I would figure something out, that still somehow drives me in this like anxiety way. And so I have to always listen to that voice, but I'm also looking at like, okay, but look at what is out there and look at what value you have and look at what you can bring and, and marrying those two, um, those two things and thinking like what, what really excites me? You know, it's like the advice we give to our kids, find something you really love to do. Think about that. And, you know, and if you can make a living at it, great. You know what I mean? Like that's how we were raised, but there's so many things you could do. And I think now more than ever, the opportunities are exponential and it's just finding those companies that value, you know, those resources. And it's, it's sometimes it's totally not who you think it would be, you know, but I can tell you having worked with thousands of brands, there are so many companies and businesses out there that, that really need, you know, people um, with experience to come and, you know, there's those all these you know platforms like GLG, you know, where they'll pay for an hour of your time. Um, there's another one that just launched called Operator. There's technology is making these connections, you know, to seasoned resources and businesses, you know, much more accessible. So easy. Yeah, um, and I think there's going to be all these different kind of models, like what the, what the board is, and you know, it could be built really specific around a niche. You know, um, that's like come to us. We're we are experts in this, and. You know, I hope more models like this happen and someone, you know, takes the lead and says, you know, this is what I love to do and I can do this for many companies. And if I get five other people on my team, we're that much more powerful to go and push, you know, push ourselves in. And I think brands just don't even know that's an option yet, you know, in many cases. Yeah. I think they have to build companies a certain way. And so... You will never be flipping burgers. I'm just <laughs> going to tell you that. Everything you've said and the value that you're bringing and the way you're... I mean, you're... you're par- part of what you're doing through the board is you're shifting culture and, and we thank you for it. Um, I I'm excited to see where this will be in a year and five years from now. And thank you. (laughs) I'm not letting go of you yet. Yet. We've got five fast questions that we always ask. So what do you think the number one trait an entrepreneur must possess is? Oof. I think resilience. Yeah. Um, for all the reasons you've already (laughs) talked about, um, and an app that you use daily for your business to organize yourself, anything that you can recommend? I I love Evernote. That's where I, you know, I constantly have it open. I'm constantly making my notes and then you can grab it from your phone later. Um, and that's really saved me. I can actually go back and find notes from spring in 2015 in my Evernote. And it's just kind of wild to see like how, how things have changed and haven't changed. Have changed. Um, Yes. Or yeah. Where the through line is like, oh, I'm still saying that. Okay. I should pay attention. What was the first task you hired out? Um, we'll say with the board that as soon as you had a little bit of money, you're like, okay, I'm going to hire this role. Um, finance. 
accounting. (laughs) Yes. Amen to that. We all need that. I always say this is the hardest question, but red vines or Twizzlers? I am super Twizzlers for sure. You're East Coast. You are East Coast. (laughs) Yeah. It's just, that's where the line is drawn. And then our uh, platform is Liberty. Our podcast is Liberty for her. Everything we talk about is, you know, liberating women to pursue their calling, pursue their dreams. What does it mean for you? Oh, liberty. I think it's kind of letting go of, I guess, some of the the past connotations you have about what what it's meant to be a leader, a woman, Mm -hmm. um, a mother, uh, all those things. You know, we, we kind of start to think about, I should, I should, I should, you know, and I think liberating yourself from that to be like, I'm not quite sure. And I think this feels right, or this feels great. And I'm leaning in, I think, again, it may be generational, you know, where we kind of put ourselves in boxes, you know, along the way. And um, my, my, my husband's, he's like, I should, I should, he's like, you have to stop saying should. And that's thing where I think I'm getting better at. And that's liberating me so much from taking, you know, ridiculous pressures off myself that really are are only (laughs) self-imposed. Yes. Yes. I don't think you have any idea what, I know what you just said impacted me. And I can tell you a little bit when we're offline about that, but those words are going to hit a lot of people hard. And I thank you for them. And I thank you for your transparency throughout this call. And I think we can look at you and Google you and be like, I will never get to that level. And then we have a conversation with you and we're like, she is a real person. who has thought through a lot of the things we've thought through, struggled through a lot of the things we've struggled through and is and, somehow and daily, continues yeah, mm-hmm. and, and continues <laughs> to tinker away and try and make something happen. So yeah. I just can't thank you enough oh, for this. My absolute um, pleasure. Time. I really appreciate you taking the time and you're a, you're a dream host. So thank you. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. Colorado history. Later. Yes, we have to. And Liberty listeners, there are so many things that April said. We're going to try and capture all of them in the show notes for you. But you can always listen to this again and again. I think there's like four acronyms you threw out that I'm like, I need to go Google that myself. <laughs> um, so we'll try and capture that for you guys. And listeners, thanks again for tuning in and we'll see you next week. Take care. April, thanks for being with us. Bye. Bye. Liberty Road is broadcast on all platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and more. If you like what you've heard, please follow, rate, and review Liberty Road on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It helps us to know if these episodes are inspiring and equipping your ventures. Liberty Road is produced by Netta Jones and Elizabeth Joy Windham and music by Jordan Flower. on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.